Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. This episode is called Survival because of the survival story of the Chilean miners this month. And also we have stories about sometimes, you know, you just gotta do what you gotta do to survive. And uh, one of them is actually a drive-by crapping story, which I find very funny. <laughs> and then we also have a airline top chef challenge. And at the end of the episode, a couple of stories about the Chilean miners. And I'm also going to use a song, The Ballad of Steven Slater. It's a YouTube video by uh, the Strat Brat. Because last month when I did the Steven Slater episode, there were two songs that I really liked. And um, I know it's now old news, but I'm still going to go ahead and uh, (laughs) use the other Steven Slater song just because I think it's funny. Okay, let's get on with the show. Okay, so you have a story? I do. A flight attendant told me that he flew with a very sweet flight attendant. They went to the layover, and he was signing them in, and she did not wait for them to get all their room keys. She jerked her key right out of his hand, and he was like, whatever. He was like, whatever. So she went up. The next day he come to find out, she said she was having some gastrointestinal issues. So she went straight to her room, said her bags by the door, didn't turn on any lights, went straight to the toilet, and unloaded. She happens to look up and in the reflection of the mirror, bounce off the mirrored closet, she sees an elderly couple asleep in the bed. So she does not flush. She gets up, grabs her bags, and takes off. Okay, so the moral of that story, what was it? It was a drive-by crapping. <laughs> drive-by crapping. I never heard of a drive-by crapping before, but I guess it makes sense, you know, if you all of a sudden saw there were people in the room, you're not going to flush the toilet because you'd wake them up, and then how do you explain why you're in the room and why what you're doing there? <laughs> but what's so funny about that story is you know the next morning when they woke up, they're both going to blame each other like, I can't believe you did that. Why, why would you leave that in there? <laughs> Probably neither of them will believe the other one because... Who would ever think that, oh yeah, some stewardess dropped by and went number two and scrammed. Okay, this is another one. Heard this in recurrent. Blyton was doing an all-nighter. She was walking through. And she sees this guy with his tray table down reading a book with a cat on his tray table just petting the cat. She's like, sir, you've got to put your cat away. And he's like, it's not my cat. 
the lady two rows in front of him fell asleep and the cat had gotten out of the bag and just happened to jump on his tray table. So he just started petting it out of, you know, whatever. It's not my cat. It's not my cat, but he still be nice to it. Your first class Hellraiser, flight attendant and hero of the working so I live in Santa Monica, California, and I am still contemplating uh, moving across the country, actually to Hilton Head, South Carolina, still looking at properties there. But I really miss California. I have to admit, I really like it here. And one of the things that I really like is how colorful and you know, sort of odd the people are. You know, they're very eccentric and they're never dull. And something that would seem so straightforward they will turn it into something odd. So I like, um, I go through phases with what I'm doing for exercise. I do yoga, I like to hike, and something that's very um, sort of famous here in Los Angeles is we have something like 40 miles of public stairs located in all different places all over LA, and it's actually stairs maintained by the city, So you because it's hilly to get from one place or another. And it makes for good exercise, you know, so I have, I like the Santa Monica stairs. We have two different sets, actually three different sets of stairs here in Santa Monica. And uh, the one set, there's, you can get a really pretty ocean view. So like when you're taking a break at the top, you can look at the ocean, watch the sunset, then go up and down on the stairs. But you know, stair climbing seems so straightforward. You know, you can go up or down, fast or slow, <laughs> but they're stairs. But oh no, oh no, not here in Santa Monica. These people... <laughs> It is so entertaining. Well, first of all, you get like the really anorexic ones with their bones, shoulder bones sticking out in the back, going up and down and up and down and up and down. So that's typical of Los Angeles, right? And then you get these other people where they come up with all these wacky ways to go up and down the stairs. Uh, the most common one that I find irritating is the donkey kick. So after each step, they kick backwards. And that, it's just awkward when you're behind them because, you know, sometimes it's crowded. You got to worry about these people kicking you. And then another one that's awkward, this girl, I guess she thinks it's, you know, a different type of workout. She likes to go up and down backwards. Uh, seems slightly dangerous. But what's weird is when she's going up the steps backwards, when you're behind her, it's like you're facing each other. It's almost like you're slow dancing. It's weird. And then you get people who do the wedding march. So they go up and stop and up another step and stop. <laughs> You're thinking, okie dokie. But then the other day, I, I really wish I would have had my iPhone ready to film it because there was this really in shape black guy. And I thought maybe he was like a paraplegic or something because he had um, ropes attached to his legs. And on each step, he pulled with his arms to lift the leg. And then he would pull with the arm to lift the other leg to go up the stairs. And then I realized he was perfectly fine. He just wanted more of a workout. So he had weighted his legs, attached ropes. So this way, when he pulled each leg up, he was getting an upper body workout. <laughs> I'm telling you, only in L.A. Okay, a lightning story? I have a lightning story. Okay, well, I was a, I was a right seater in a in a ER, right. seven six ER, going into Munich, and uh, my first lightning. Well, actually, it wasn't my first lightning strike. My first lightning was an F sixteen electric electric jet flying in Germany again, 
where I was based at Han Air Base. And uh, anyway, that's another story. But the, the, the 767 story, we are coming in, and just as we were turning the corner to turn final, about a 15-mile final in Munich. You ever been to Munich? No? Uh, no. no. Anyway, we were on 15-mile final. Right when we were turning, there were storms nearby, but nothing where I thought we were going to be affected. And all of a sudden, this whole crack, I mean, really loud, boom, goes off, and the whole, all the, we got fried, actually, we got a, a spot on the plane that got burnt. And uh, it was it, all the electricity was going out the static wicks, you know. And yeah. We got we got fried, yeah. <laughs> and that was like scary because we turned the corner. The instruments, the instruments are good, yeah. Everything seemed good, but it was just scary. I mean, we're like, holy shit, yeah, what was that? So that drive-by crapping story reminded me of another crappy story. I This was many years ago. I was on a layover, and I got a message that my supervisor called, and it was very important, and that I call her back. And I'll tell you, the airline doesn't call you usually on your layover, so especially your supervisor. So I was afraid like somebody died or something. The, my, I was dating the actor at the time, and he was making a movie in India. I thought, oh my gosh, something happened to him on his flight home. So... I call her back and she says, oh, um, we wanted to know if you wanted to be in a commercial for the airline. And I'm like, excuse me? She says, well, we did a whole bunch of auditions and we have, uh, we wanted like a multiracial diverse crew. So we have a black girl and a Hispanic girl and they want a blonde girl with an airline type haircut. And at the time I had this blonde bob and I guess I had the right haircut. So I was like, sure, that sounds like fun. I'll do it. And then in the meantime, I went to pick up the boyfriend at the airport coming from India, and he was a very handsome guy, but when he got off that airplane from India, granted it's a long flight, but he had caught some sort of stomach thing, a parasite, or I don't know what he caught, but he was like yellow green, like his skin, I've never seen skin that color. <laughs> I was still so happy to see him, and uh, I caught whatever he had, so then it was time to film the commercial and I have a stomach <laughs> that just wants to be relieved you know every so often so I didn't want to I didn't want to not be in the commercial so I thought I was just gonna you know go get through this even though I had diarrhea <laughs> so here I am <laughs> trying to be all happy airline crew going through the airport commercial production people come over to us and say, okay, we're going to let all of you go for the day, but we're going to decide on one of you to do another segment where you'll be taking the tickets from our actor who comes up to get on the airplane uh, at the gate. And so normally I would be thinking, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me. But because of my stomach <laughs> issues, I was thinking, don't pick me, don't pick me, don't pick me. And sure enough, they're like, and so Betty, uh, we're going to have you stay. The rest of you can go. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, crap. And before he pulled the shoe, he took some in cotton booty. A couple of beers to drink on the way down. On a recent flight from New York City to Los Angeles, my captain came out, and he hadn't come out of the cockpit for the entire six-hour flight to use the restroom, which is very common. So I complimented him on his <laughs> bladder control, to which he smiled at me and said, depends. And I said that is both hysterical and disgusting all at the same time. <laughs> Knew he said his piece by the time 
So if you're at the store at a checkout stand or near a magazine rack, you might want to check out November's Reader's Digest because I'm in there. On the cover is an airplane and it says 50 Secrets Your Pilot Won't Tell You. And Joe Dion, friend of the podcast, has a lot of quotes in there. And then there's a sister article called The 13 Things Your Flight Attendant Won't Tell You. And I wrote most of those. So, uh, It's kind of exciting being in Reader's Digest. Not sure if it'll help the sales of the book or not. Um, Hey, if you haven't already checked out my book, you might want to check it out on Amazon.com or you can get a signed copy at my website, BettyInTheSky.com. You can also get the ebook at Smashwords.com. It's half off. And uh, more shameless plugs. I also do airline Christmas cards at skybetty.com. Uh, they've actually been popular last year. Strangers, people hadn't even heard the podcast bought them. They just found them on the internet. I have funny things like Santa Claus going through air, airline security, things like that. And uh, you might want to check them out at skybetty.com. And then also there is a Italian flight attendant who has a villa in the Roman countryside. We got to talking and she told me, you know, if you send any of your listeners to my website, her website is www.terabellaservices.com that you can get $100 off if you mention me or the podcast. And she does like cooking classes and an olive harvest, tours of the Roman countryside. I mean, what sounds better than a villa in the Roman countryside? So might want to check it out. I think that's uh, all of my shameless plugs, so let's get on with the show. Liza told me that she, they they had a flight that was going out massively late, so they took a poll with the the passengers and said, do you want to wait for catering or go without it? Everybody unanimously voted to go without it. So the captain, of course, kind of cowboyed up and said, oh, we're getting catering. So the captain proceeded to go out onto the catering truck to help bring the catering carts in on an MP88 and somehow lost his footing and fell off the bridge right onto the tarmac. The captain fell off? The captain fell right off onto the tarmac. So, of course, he he still cowboys up and comes up, dusts himself off. He's like, we're going. And when they got to Boston that night, he had to be carried off in a stretcher because I guess the injuries didn't set in until after he sat in the cockpit for two hours. I like to do fun things on the airplane. Boy, that's a shocker, right? Well, uh, I came up with this new game on the airplane called Top Chef Airline Challenge. We, in in first class, on uh, lunch flights, we serve a hot sandwich. And the sandwiches come in this metal tin with, like, foil on top. And... I realized that that metal tin could be like a pie tin. So after we've served the sandwiches and after the service is over, I go to all the flight attendants and I say, I hand them a tin and I say, okay, your top chef airline challenge is to make a pie with only the ingredients that can be found on this airplane. (laughs) It's so much fun because actually we have quite a few things you can make a pie out of. We have these Biscoff cookies or like cinnamon sort of graham crackery cookies cookies so you can make a crust out of that sometimes there's butter left from a morning flight so yeah you can make a whole warm graham cracker crust with that together Um, sometimes there's cream cheese left from bagels from the morning and there's jelly so you can have jam and then in first class when we serve snacks there's bananas and apples and we serve Reese's cups and Twix (laughs) 
<laughs> so we had people make things like, um, you know, like an apple. Oh, there's apricots in one of the um, things we sell in the back. So like she made a uh, apple apricot tart. <laughs> Somebody else made a banana cream pie. They used the bananas and some milk and the cream cheese and kind of whipped it up and put it in the in the freezer and then warmed the graham cracker crust and then crumbled some of the cookies on top. It was actually really good. And then somebody else made a like peanut butter, chocolate, I guess you'd call it a tart. And then they made the um, cream cheese and some milk and some water and made like a, a whipped cream icing and put a dollop of that on the top. <laughs> so that day... <laughs> We weren't full, so it was fun that we could do our airline Top Chef challenge. I took some of it up to the pilots, and they were like, what is this? And actually, they they were really impressed with our creative culinary skills. Yes, we were flying back from France, and uh, this very hyper human being came pinging in the cockpit, and it was happened to be Regis Philbin. Quite a nice guy, and uh, he was very personable. But he was just like you see him on the TV. He was all over the place, and finally went back to sit down. Well, on ER trips across the Atlantic, we take uh, breaks. Uh, there's three pilots. So on my break, I had the first one. I went back, and I was sitting across from him, and I'm getting my seat ready for uh, sleeping for a couple hours. And I'm noticing that Regis is pinging back and forth from his seat to the couple in front of him. And I'm looking at this, and I finally mentioned to the gentleman across from me, I said, Sir, is that gentleman bothering you? As I point to Regis Philbin. And he looks at me, and he goes, Absolutely. So I look at Regis, and I said, Sir, you're bothering him. Will you please sit there and keep your mouth shut and don't bother the people in first class anymore? I turned around and went to sleep as all the first class broke up laughing, as well as his wife. <laughs> so that's true. I like the rest of the nation was just transfixed with the minor coverage the miners trapped in Chile I because I'm a traveler I have always been fascinated with survival stories and I've always I've read lots of books on the Shackleton expedition in Antarctica where they're you know they got trapped in the ice flow and the men were trapped for so long and finally you know the captain was able to get out and take a boat and get back to rescue them and also the alive crash because I had that uh, the hero from the alive crash in the Andes on the airplane he was my favorite passenger ever Nando Parado and uh I felt like I normally get so frustrated with media coverage, you know, it's like it's such an invasion, you know, like what's happening with this. But this was with with the coverage of the miners being rescued. It was technology at its best. It was like getting to watch the Shackleton survivors being rescued one by one, like watching the Andes survivors trek out of the mountains. It was like for once, we got to be there for a historic rescue, and I felt like it was just a, a triumph of spirit and, and countries working together and people working together, and I can't think of a 
more positive news story, maybe in my lifetime. I literally couldn't stop watching the TV. I needed to get a podcast done. I had all this other stuff going on. And I kept saying, no, I'm just going to watch one more. I'm going to watch one more minor get rescued. And then you would think after a while, I'd stop crying, you know, <laughs> but then there was a new family and a new story. And I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to watch one more. And I watched just about every single one of those minors get rescued. And all I can say is chi, 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 lay, lay, lay. Chi, 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 lay, lay, lay. So I can't put into words how I felt watching the miners be rescued. And I was listening to the radio on the way home from my trip, uh, NPR News, Scott Simon, and he really summed it up best. The 33 men pulled up from the depths of Chile's San Jose mine this week look strong and proud. Victors, not victims. Survival was a marvel that enlisted drillers, engineers, doctors, geologists, scientists, psychiatrists, bureaucrats, clergy, and volunteers from around the world. But the men saved themselves, too. They had the hard hidden part, living with isolation, hunger, and despair for 69 days, trapped in a small dark space 2,000 feet below the ground that tried to crush them. They told reporters yesterday the first 17 days were hardest. They had no word from the surface or proof they were being searched for. Some of the men squabbled, which they've made a pact never to speak about. They made jokes about cannibalism as they watched themselves starve. After 17 days, the refuge chamber into which they'd scrambled to escape began to feel as close as a tomb. Now the men, who may always be known as Los Torrientes y Tres, can look ahead to sunnier days. Chile's president, Sebastian Piñera, embraced each miner as he emerged and said, You're not the same after this, and neither are we. We will never forget this. I think that we embraces the world. Millions of families, including ours, got our children out of bed to watch the men rise from the earth, wave, sing, and blow kisses. We told our children, remember this night whenever you think something is impossible. President Piñera says he also knows this magnificent achievement stemmed from what may be reckless disregard of mine safety. Never again, he says, will we permit people to work in conditions so unsafe and inhuman as they worked in the San Jose mine. It's tempting to say the rescue of the miners, like the landing on the moon or the return of Apollo 13, shows that humans can do anything if we just work together. Landing on the moon or rescuing 33 miners are daunting but direct enterprises. They have start points and finish lines. Trials of war, famine, terrorism, poverty, global warming, joblessness, and loneliness twist and turn. But this week it was good to be reminded that skill, courage, and dedication can also move the earth. When 33 men were buried, people uncovered strength they never knew was inside. Failure was not an option. This week we were all Chilean. Viva! That's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel the world together. Thanks. Bye. So when the world's oppressing you and you can take no more, just remember Stephen Slater and slide right out the door.